this is from the um, acknowledgements to your book, Ghosts of Cathkin Park. I challenge anybody who harbours any doubt as to the value of journalists and journalism to go back, read and appreciate the fantastic work done by these men and their frequently unbylined peers, that means anonymous. Without them, history would be considerably less vivid and shamefully incomplete. It might not be fully aware of it, but this increasingly noisy, impatient world needs storytellers now more so than ever. So you're one of them, and you get, Michael McHugh, in your Football Library membership card. Who do you want on it? Oh, good question. Uh... If you want it to be someone pertaining to Third Lanark... I'm not actually sure. I would need to give that some thought. My my big, big hero when I was a little guy was Brian Loudrup. I yeah. uh, absolutely worshipped the ground that Brian Loudrup walked on. But I don't know. I, I would need to think about that. Absolutely no idea off the top of my head. I'll ask you. No, that's fine. I'll who, ask you again. Who in... previous people gone for? Um, Hugh McIlvanny, I always give people Brian Glanville or Hunter Davis if they're mm. a Spurs fan or Kenny Dalgleish or obscure figures. I'm talking to Andrew Downey later today about the World Cup oh, yeah. 1970 and he is a fellow Berliner. He's also got a book out on your publisher. He does, yeah. yeah. It's, I've not actually read it yet. I've, I've seen some of the promotional material for it though and it does look absolutely fantastic. I, I was, I'm too young to remember that World Cup but I think like everyone else, I've seen a lot of the key moments and yeah, I, I can't wait to see Andrew's done with that. I'm sure he's brought it to life beautifully. And it's been, because I've been nagging him for about a year, because it was meant to come out last <laughs> year and it's been delayed and kicked and kicked. But mm. fought like mm. Pele in the 66 World Cup. Berlin, I should say, an independent publisher based in Newington, round the corner from where I used to live in Hope Park Crescent in the southeastern corner of the Meadows in Edinburgh. Have you been to their office? Yes, I have. It's a wonderful place. It's exactly as you would expect. Uh, Organised chaos mm-hmm. is probably the best description of it. Books floor to ceiling. You know, it's it's like that scene in Ghostbusters when right at the start when the the, the library ghost appears and the, yep. all the books are stacked high. But imagine every single bit of floor space is taken up by books stacked high. So it has that sort of charming black books style quality about it it's it's like a little treasure trove and and wonderful people that work there i mean i was going to say for those who don't get the black books reference that's based on some of the shops in edinburgh's pubic triangle as it is one of my favorite square square miles in the world it's like six second-hand bookshops books books on books on books on books yeah yeah it's it's just an amazing part of the world i mean you, you you find all kinds of things in there you know it's it's special but yeah, I, I can't praise the people at Berlin highly enough. They've been an absolute pleasure to work with. Right from the, the very start of the idea of running the smoke, they were on board immediately. You hear stories of people struggling for years to get book deals and having to go through literary agents and so on and so forth. And you know, I, always, I understand it, but I always thought there's a, there's a little element of faff about that that I just kind of think is a bit unnecessary. But you don't get that with Berlin. They've been absolutely superb, very professional, diligent supportive and yeah um, you know the, if they're the only publishing company I work with for the rest of my days I'll be absolutely over them in uh, I'm going to because you mentioned him Peter Burns and the team at Arena Sport mm. you are a team that always goes above and beyond an absolute pleasure to work with uh, and you also thank Sadie uh, but I'm not yes. here <laughs> I'm not here to talk about her um, one person <laughs> you do talk to Crawford H uh, who is the son or grandson son the son of Mr. H. Right, yes. And uh, if you read the book, you'll hear the name. Uh, maybe Loki. If I just say Loki, that will give you a clue <laughs> as to the name. 
um, who was a villain. Yeah, yeah Loki, very good. And Loki really uh-huh. does kill people, I think, in um, in that series, although I don't really care about it. Uh, but this is the football club that Mr H drove to the wall. What's the polite way of putting it? Um, I was probably responsible for ceasing to exist. He... It's, it's still a really hard one to decide, and you know, without giving a huge amount away, I actually, you know what? Sorry, it doesn't matter if I do. I mean, uh, it's, it's the story's there for anyone to find out. I, I don't know if he was still ultimately responsible. You know, it's hard to, without him being here and being able to answer the questions for himself, and he's not. He died shortly after Third Lanark folded. It's very hard to to really get a, a full and clear picture of everything that went on and the reasons for it. But we're left with a lot of compelling evidence that it seems to suggest that he was ultimately the man that was responsible for the club going bust. He was the the, the biggest shareholder at the time and a very divisive figure. He had he, he was originally a, a third Lanark season ticket holder as a child. Yeah, which is what makes and, it so sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, can you imagine going taking over the the club that you've supported all of your days and being there and being responsible for it going under. You know, there may have been very compelling personal reasons. He may have got himself into a lot of financial difficulty. I suspect that's the case. I think that as a businessman, he was hapless. I think he liked the idea of being a successful part of the the, the Glasgow High Flyers and wanted to see himself as a in, in the higher ranks of, of Glasgow society. He was definitely a social climber, but was completely feckless when it came to doing it. And in order to get there, he tried lots of different businesses. He, he had a grocer's, he had a tailor's, he had bar, and then obviously decided he wanted to get in with Third Lanark. So he was originally a shareholder and at one time was the, the chairman of the club. Yeah, the honorary secretary manager. Yeah, I mean, that's such a weird title. He, he was effectively the first team coach club secretary and chairman mm. all in one. So he was picking the team. And you know what? To be fair to him, very successful as a manager. I mean, the, the club's record under him for the short spell, he was what we would now know as a, a football manager. He was pretty good. But there was so much boardroom wrangling and disharmony, pretty much from the time that Todd Lanark became incorporated as a limited company in the early part of the 21st century, that you know there was so much discord and... You know, animos between anybody who had a share in the club and ultimately he ended up ousted he had to leave with his tail very much between his legs and then reappeared at the second or third time of trying and people doubted his motives from the very start and as the club started to sell its most prized assets for next to no money and it became clear that there was uh, an attempt to move the club out of the Glasgow city boundaries to East Kilbride I think a lot of people suspected that this was some kind of revenge mission on, on his part to, to spite the club, to, to run it into the ground. I don't necessarily believe that was the case. I just think that he had this vision for how to run the business and what the business could look like, but didn't have the acumen to, to achieve it. It just it sounds like fiction. It's because he mm. seems such a well-rounded figure that you, you paint him as. I've actually written down two columns, on the pitch and off the pitch, and you tell the story intertwining with each other because people on the pitch were upset with what was going on in the boardroom. Uh, but let's take us to uh, the bit where um, it was not if but when the hair breaks on the sword of Damocles. 
Um, we'll, we'll, so we'll go up to 1967. The team were founded as the 3rd Lanarkshire Rifle Volunteers team. And so who is ultimately responsible for the formation of the team? Ah, well, if you want to trace it back right to the very, very, very early days, that would be Napoleon III. Yeah, so they were the ones who volunteered in the army. Mm-hmm. And then because of what was going on in England at the time, the 1860s, we had some codified laws and we needed people to play it. Um, there were, as in 1888... Uh, with the the original 13 football league clubs. In Scotland, there were 11. Now, Third Lanark were one of them. Do you, Michael McEwen, and you can win a copy of this book, Ghosts of Cathkin Park, (laughs) to add to the pile in probably your daughter's bedroom. Uh, Daddy, what are those books doing? Never mind, just get back to work. Um, Who were the other 10? Oh, Jesus, I can't remember. I know Queen's Park would be one of them. I'm sure Kilmarnock were there. Nope, nope and nope. Neither. Really? That's what it says here. Queen's Park yeah. must have operated independently. Probably, actually, I'll tell you what, Vale of Leven must have been one of Vale of, of Leven, yeah. And then I think they're going down to the junior levels as they are now, so, oh my goodness. There are some pointless answers here. Well done if you get them at home. <laughs> uh, Celtic and Rangers are the big two, yeah. obviously. Harder Midlothian, uh, yeah. St Mirren, Dumbarton. Any takers? Quite. Nope. One Quite of the bad. main characters in Train Spotting. Oh, Renton, of course. The first syllable of this team is an animal that goes moo. Cowlairs. Cowlairs. Um, mm-hmm. The name of this team, there's a big venue in Edinburgh, the Blank Exchange. Corn. Yeah. And then oh, the German corn, corn, for corn. but, Abercorn or oh. Abercorn. Oh, right, God, I've forgotten they even existed. Jeez. <laughs> it's and, it's yeah. funny, I mean, you, you do all this research and it's... The, the book, I'm sure I finished writing the book a year past February, because that too was meant to come out last year, but, yeah. you know, COVID, etc. It's so funny, like, I was reading parts of it again recently, and I thought, I don't remember writing this bit at no. all. So, yeah, there you go. I'd absolutely, I I have failed at my very own book. Uh, you, you can redeem yourself with the name of the 11th team. It's uh, three syllables, and the middle syllable is a mode of transport that you get that is very slow. That's very slow. Uh, well, certainly it was oh, in Edinburgh because of all the traffic. Mum's cars, two syllables. Cam, mum's cars, lang. No. <laughs> Canvas lang. Canvas lang. So um, I don't think some of those teams, if they do exist, they like third Lanaka amateur teams. I haven't checked. Yeah, I, I, there's quite a few of them there that don't exist anymore. Cowlairs, uh, Canvas lang would be an amateur side or a junior side. Um, Renton, likewise. Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, and Bidding, you know, they're the big ones that, that are still around. Yeah, and their history goes back, but their history is trumped because Third Lanark is older than all of them. It's 12 years older than Celtic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is it 12 years older than Celtic? I think that's what the book Celtic said. If not the book, there was a, yeah. an article in, in Glasgow Live. Um, yeah, Celtic were 1888, Rangers were 1873. Yeah. So, so, yeah. yeah. So the estimation. Uh, and what was um, Cathkin Park called at one point? Cathkin Park at one time was Hamden. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and it was yeah, all. Yeah, that standard. was an original format. Yeah, yeah. There was so that's that's the funny thing about it. When you go there, you know, it's there's absolutely no sign of modern life whatsoever. It is kind of as it's this little bit of the sixties that's just left preserved in the south side of Glasgow. It's it's, it's a really unique place. Yeah, I think I think if you go on an SFA tour, you should hop in a bus. Andy Bollum oh, was yeah. saying wonderful things about Hamden and the 
Scottish Football Museum, which I do hope to get to, um, because Scottish football, it's I think it's written about better than the English game. There are so many books. We're in the middle of Fitbar Week, uh, but we're moving towards 1967, which I think is I I think there should be a book in this, uh, but we'll get to that. 1903, 1904. What did Third Lanark do? They became incorporated as a, a limited company. They they also dropped their sort of old army regiment terminology from their names. So the Third Lanarkshire Rifle Volunteers, they just became a Third Lanark um, Athletic Club, mm-hmm. PLC or Limited. And then that was just in time for their first division championship. Yes, yes, that's right. They, they won the league in 1903-04, I think it would have been. The one and only time they ever won the... The, the Premier League, as we would call it now, so you know they were the champions of Scotland, probably the the best expression for it. Yeah, and then they added uh, what no one apart from football journalists calls silverware. I don't know if you listen to Adam Hurry's football <laughs> cliches; it's yes. ludicrous, ludicrous the amount of cliches that are only used in football. Brilliant uh, through the Athletic. But yes, Scottish Cup winners nineteen oh five. Who did they beat, and what did you read about the Cup final? Oh, there must have been lots of journalists. Lord. 1905, I... Oh, who did they beat? I'm getting confused now with the Glasgow Cup, which was their last trophy, where they beat Celtic. So I think it would have been Rangers that they beat in that cup final. 0405, am I right? 3-1 on a replay. That's right, yeah. Uh, I'm That's just seeing right. if uh, Bonacord played in that tournament. Um, they probably did, to be fair. No, are both the sixth GRV... Um, played in the the opening round. The semi-final was Celtic Rangers and Third Lanark Airdrieonians. Uh, The team, let's roll off some Scottish names for the Third Lanark side. Rayside, Barr, McIntosh, Comrie, Sloan, Nielsen, Johnston, Kidd, Mackenzie, Wilson and Monroe. Yeah, some very good Scottish names there. I like that. Third Lanark would go on to... Did you read much about this tour that you talk about the third Atlantic scotland scotland 11 who were kind of a corinthians but of scotland yeah very little uh, information really exists about that these days i mean you know the uh, for the book i relied pretty heavily on newspaper archives and i don't know how many hours i spent in you know, the national library of scotland or the mitchell library in glasgow just pouring over old newspaper copies and microfilm uh, it's it's Pretty complete, I have to say, as far back as, you know, the war era, but certainly, you know, pre-Second World War is slightly incomplete. So the, the tour as well, I mean, because it wasn't Rangers or Celtic that were doing the tour, there weren't as many eyeballs on it. Had it been Rangers or Celtic, my God, you know, the presses would have stopped and no doubt a couple of journalists decamped to go with them as well. But yeah, it was, it was almost the case of, oh, Third Lanark went on a tour, by the way. Um, as, as was so often the case throughout the history, they were uh, also ran, I suppose. Yes, as always. I was trying to think, would Rangers and Celtic fans, if they were playing away, would they not go to third Atlantic? It literally was the third team, or were Partick the third team? There were quite a number of teams in Glasgow at that time within the city limits. So you had Partick Thistle, who in the very early days would still be playing in the borough of Partick, and now playing Mary Hill which is just to the north of the city. Uh, you also had Clyde, who were playing at Shawfield, very close to Third Lanark. They were probably Third's biggest rivals in terms of geography and so on and so forth. So you had them. They now play out with the city limits as well. The city limits these days is just Rangers, Celtic and, and Partick Thistle. Mm. 
would people have gone to see thirds when Rangers and Celtic weren't playing? Not likely, because at that time you still had the reserve league, which was a well-followed league. So it was a case of, you know, one Saturday you would go to Kathkin in this case to, to see the first team play. And then the following week when they were playing away, you would go to Kathkin to see the reserves playing. So people, you know, certainly in Glasgow, you, you pick your team or you're assigned a team and that's it. They are your team. Unfortunately, they they went out of business before you came along. Um, yes. This I, I read what was going on and I went in the 1930s and I've gone, yo-yo, hi-hi, which will make sense to people once they read the book. <laughs> Yes, they were they were very much that. What would the good English equivalent be? I guess they were almost in some way a like a Norwich City, West Brom. Yeah, West Brom, Norwich City. You know, too good for the Championship, but not good enough for the Premier League. So that was kind of their existence for a while. You know, they, they were down, they were up, they were down, they were up, and then there was a spell late fifties, very very early sixties, when they had. Probably the most feared attacking lineup in the country. You know the the likes of Alex Harley, Dave Hilly, Joe McInnes, Matt Gray. These guys were highly prized assets, coveted by other clubs, and they rattled in the goals. I mean, I think in their last, or sort of their last most successful season, which would have been sixty sixty one, I think, or sixty one sixty two. They finished third in the old Scottish First Division, or the Premier League as we would call it now. They scored over 100 goals. They got across the line with a, I think it was a 6-1 thrashing of Hibs in the final day of the season. They were a really entertaining team who looked like they had it all and were primed to, to push on and become even more successful. But ultimately, behind the scenes, lots of things were going on. The, the team was dismantled from within. Those players that I've just mentioned were, were sold for next to no money in a lot of cases. And yeah, it was just heartbreaking to see this the club that had so much history and now stood on the brink of so much potential just destroyed because of terrible governance. Well, it, it reminds me, and we haven't got time to go into it, but Livingston, Gretna... Uh, mm-hmm. Rangers under David Murray, uh, but it's so yep. sad because that 1960 Alex Young got the winner in a Scottish League Cup final, where the reporter said that thirds were outclassed and that when they missed a late chance, the reporter said, "Well, I for one was glad that there was no extra time because Hearts had such <laughs> had so demolished uh, thirds." And then, yeah, 61 finishing third uh, and got into Europe. Too, but yeah, yeah, very briefly. (laughs) Yes, for about half a second. But do you talk in your book to fans who are now in their seventies and eighties about their memories of watching? I I did. Yes, it was very important to me to again, in pursuit of the truth, you want to speak to as many people as you can. And I spoke to a lot of the players who were there at the time in that final season. uh, A lot of the guys who are still with us, and they have their version of events. Uh, I spoke to people who played against them, including the former First Minister of Scotland, Henry McLeish, who was a footballer at the time for East Fife. And he actually scored at both ends at Cathkin Park in that final season. And, you know, everyone had pretty much the same story to tell from the football side of it, which was that this was a club that was being run on the tightest of tight budgets. I mean, Henry McLeish and his teammates took their own light bulbs with them because they didn't Couldn't think there was going that. to be... Yeah, they didn't think there was going to be light in their changing rooms. And soap, um, apparently, for the and scrub. And soap, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were meant to provide a new football for every match. 
you know, as as you would expect. But instead, third zoners in their their penny pinching ways decided to find a way around that. And the way around it was as soon as possible after kickoff, the ball was to be played back to one of the the big hulking centre halves that Thurns had, whose job it was to kick the ball out of the pitch over the fence where somebody from the club would be waiting they would throw on an old ball retrieve the new ball and keep it but throw Mm. on an old ball painted white and that worked for weeks and weeks until finally they were playing this particularly dreary wet winter's day when somebody rose for a header and came away with a white streak of paint across his forehead and that's when it was rumbled I mean there was absolutely nothing that they considered you know too shameless an act you know, or too shameful in that. They, they had absolutely zero shame in what they did. And yeah, the, the footballers that I spoke to could tell me all about that. And the fans, though, provided probably the most interesting, a lot of the most interesting insights because the players all went on to other clubs. You know, whether that was in the senior game or the, the junior game, is, which was huge at the time in Scotland, mm-hmm. they all carried on. You know, life went on for them. But then you had these fans who had followed thirds for years and suddenly they didn't have a team. And some of them, yeah, the younger ones amongst them, decided to adopt either Rangers or Celtic, but didn't have the same passion as they did for Thirds because it's just never the same, is it? I mean, I've got an English team that I follow, but I don't feel for them what I feel for my team. Mm. So it was never the same for them again. Others just gave up on football completely. These, these people who were left with, you know, their, their lives had been consumed by every Saturday, three o'clock, um, at Kathkin, suddenly they didn't have that. It was it was taken from them. So they felt bereft. They, it, it was very much like a, a death in the family for them. Mm-hmm. So very interesting times. Tragic. I mean, I, the, the, the word tragic and tragedy, they're, they're, they're thrown around so liberally these days, like most words. And, you know, the, the point where a lot of the meaning has been lost. But as in a footballing sense, what happened to was a complete and utter tragedy and completely avoidable as well. And considering the the context of how Scottish football looked at the time that it happened, it's just unbelievable that that it was allowed to go on. And it's so sad because you start your book with this glorious, well, within a couple of weeks, uh, Killy in a final, a semi-final against Leeds, Rangers in a semi-final against Munich, Celtic. I can't remember what happened with Celtic in 1967. (laughs) Um, because you're a Rangers fan, so I'm not going to mention it. And also, Scotland unseated England as world champions. You call it a platinum age. I think that's the next book. I'm not going to pressure you to write it, but you've got to write this book. Well, you've just given me the title, my goodness. No, it's yours. It's your title. I'm just leading the horse to water. Um, the sadness of 10 losses in 62-63, just avoiding relegation. The wretched, abject mess, 30 defeats, 64-65. George Young leaving when Mr H seizes power in December 1962, and one of the directors saying, God help Third Lanark. Uh, but what happened, just to finish, Dave Hilly played for Newcastle in the 60s. Mm-hmm. £31,000 of a transfer fee. Where on earth did that money go? That remains one of the great unsolved mysteries. There, there, there was money at Third Lanark. You know, when you look at the, the Board of Trade investigation that ultimately put the club out of business. That's the, that was the official document that, that sealed their fate. Uh, a claim was brought against Third Lanark, or several claims were brought, brought against the club for unpaid bills. And ultimately, this was the day before administration became a, a possibility for, for businesses who were performing poorly, where they could reorganise and, and you know fix their finances through some sort of legal loophole. That didn't exist back in the, the mid-60s. So 
this claim was brought against Starnes, so they couldn't cough up the money and ultimately they went out of business. But the whole time that this had been going on, the, the fans, the supporters club had been trying to get the Board of Trade to investigate the club's finances because AGMs had you know, failed to take place per the, the club's... Uh, within due time. The art, yeah, the, the, the articles of association of the club, mm-hmm. you know, yep. they had to take place once every year, they didn't. And so people became suspicious of goings on and the supporters club were dubious about what was going on financially. They wanted to see the returns and the Board of Trades initially said no to their request for an investigation, then said yes. And it was a year after the club went out of business that the, the, the full findings were published. And it's, it's startling. I mean, things like Carpets, purportedly for the, the boardroom at Third Lanark, uh, Captain Park Ground, and that was included as an expense. But on closer inspection, those carpets weren't delivered to the club, but to Mr H's home address. The same with red chips for paving outside, you know, the, mm-hmm. those old red chips you get for car parks and so on. Again, they weren't delivered to Third Lanark, they were delivered to Mr H's house. All kinds of crazy carriers uh, goings on. Phone bills for his bar that were being paid by Third Lanark. Receipts not documented properly. It's an absolutely startling document. And I've tried my best to summarise that. Because it's dry as well. It's a legal document. So I've tried my best to summarise the the key findings from it. And the the closing chapters of the book to explain, you know, this was going on. It's, It's absolutely staggering that it was allowed to happen. Would it be allowed to happen these days? Well, you could draw parallels with what happened to Rangers, but thirds operated at a time when there were fewer eyes on them. You know, they'd, they'd dropped down the division. They weren't getting the same newspaper coverage in the proper part of the newspaper, the back pages, as, as they should have been getting or they've been accustomed to getting. Some clubs, it feels like these days, are too big to fail. You know, Barcelona with one and a half million, and one and a half billion, excuse me, in debt. You know, Rangers died and came back. Could that have happened to thirds? Did, was that ever... Would that have been a, a route that the directors would have taken the club down in this day and age with all the legal manoeuvrings and shenanigans they could throw at it? Maybe. Who knows? All we know is that that money is still unaccounted for, or a large chunk of that money is still unaccounted for. Where did it go? Who spent it? Who hid it, perhaps? It's, it's an absolute mystery. The legal term when you're looking at murder and manslaughter is beyond reasonable doubt. And so it is up to the reader, as in all mysteries, to conclude uh, whether Mr H is guilty beyond reasonable doubt of murder or a lesser charge of manslaughter of uh, Third Lanark Football Club. Ghosts of Cathkin Park came out in September uh, and it will once again shine a light on how football is a business, but a business like no other. And you've seen this in the last 10 years. Rangers, are you, will you be going to watch them in the Champions League? Or the Europa League, I should well, say? If we get there. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I go back to Ibrox these days and, you know, I think Stephen Gerrard has revitalised the club. Um, he's given he's given the fan base... It's hard to actually define what it is that he's given us, but he's given, I think, Rangers fans a little bit of belief that the good times that they experienced back in whenever it would be, for some people that would be the 70s, for others at the 80s or 90s, 90s yeah. he's, he's delivered a bit of that star power that's been missing from the club since the since it imploded in 2012. And 
you know, a lot of Rangers fans get defensive about that, and Celtic fans like to say that you know, oh, your club died and you're cynical. Look at the facts are the facts. Rangers football club, such as it was, was liquidated, and it had to start again afresh. You know, or the the the, the company that owns the football club did. So I don't really want to get into. And I try to my best to avoid the. You know, as a new club, should the titles be stripped? I mean, it's just completely pointless point scoring. Um, but certainly there's a better feeling around Rangers over the past few years than there has been for a number of years. And yeah, you know, Stephen Gerrard deserves enormous credit. He came in as a rookie manager. I don't think anyone really expected him to be a huge success. But, you know, say what you like about his record in the, the cup competitions, he, he stopped Celtic from winning 10 in a row, which was, I'm sure very top item on the agenda when he was appointed so I think he's going to go on to have a great managerial career I can offer you George Young on your football library card but if you want to go with Brian Loudrop who David Priest told me was his favourite player growing up as well then you may it's got to be it's got to be the great thing doesn't it oh of course because he's got a blue shirt I'll make sure he's got a blue shirt Mm -hmm. on (laughs) of course of course Uh, I should say uh, Ghosts of Cathkin Park out now on Berlin thank you very much Michael Thank you. Thanks very much for playing.